See, I have a great seat when the bell choir uh, plays. Number one, because I'm right up there with them and hear the beautiful music. But also, I get to see Steve's face, <laughs> which is really amazing. Uh, you can just sense the, um, the joy and the passion that he has for music. So, Michael, I think one, one Sunday we ought to put a camera up here so we can see his face and then get it up on the screen somehow or some, something. So, thank you, Bell Choir. So, today we are, um, we are going to continue this, actually finish this kind of three-part series on why uh, ministry to children and youth is important. Um, and I'll be reading two scriptures today, from, both from the Gospel of Matthew. Uh, not far apart either, it's kind of interesting, one from Matthew 18, verses 1 through 5, and then Matthew 19, verses 13 through 15. So listen now to the word of God. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? He called a little child to him and placed the child among them. And he said, Truly, or verily, when he says truly or verily, pay attention, it's really important. Truly, I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. And then from Matthew 19. Then people brought little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them and to pray for them or to bless them. But the disciples rebuked them. Jesus said, let the children come to me and do not hinder them for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. When he had placed his hands on them, he went on from there. Let's pray together. God, we pray that you would now speak to us the word that we need to hear this morning. We thank you that you are involved in both the reading of your word and the preaching of the word that your Holy Spirit speaks to us. And so we ask that that would happen today, that our, our minds and our hearts would be open to what you have for us. And we pray that we would leave this place not just informed, but transformed. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. So I love the little story of, uh, or the story of a little boy at dinner with his parents. And the waitress came around. It was kind of a, a diner's type of uh, restaurant. And the wet waitress came around and said, well, what would you like? She asked the little boy. And he said, you know, I'll have a cheeseburger, fries, and a chocolate shake. And the mom frowned. And the, his dad said, oh, no, you're not going to have that. You're going to have the skinless chicken breast. <laughs> you're going to have a vegetable, small salad, baked potato with nothing on it, and low-fat milk. The waitress looked at the little boy and winked at him and started walking toward uh, the kitchen and yelled out, that'll be one cheeseburger, fry, and chocolate shake. The little boy looked at his parents with this big smile and said, she thinks I'm real. 
You know, as we talk about the importance of ministry to children and to youth and, and why the church should place emphasis on these ministries, I think it's because God calls the church to value kids as real people. That says a lot. To really see the importance and to value uh, children as full-fledged members of the body of Christ. Uh, we've taken these three weeks to talk about children and, and the importance of ministry to them and youth and their families, and we're getting ready to launch this very important ministry. I'm so excited about it. You know, I was a youth pastor for, for many years, and I always say I'm going to retire and then become a youth pastor again. Because I love it. It was a lot of fun. You know, I could just figure out, what do I want to do this summer? Well, I want to go on a houseboat retreat. I want to go backpacking. <laughs> and then I'd just schedule those things for the kids, and we'd have a blast. But it wasn't just fun. I saw that God took these kids and changed their lives. And gave them hope. And, and let them know that they were loved. No matter what, important ministry, so important. And so I wanted to spend some weeks talking about this um, because it's going to be the number one priority of our church. I mean, you asked for it, which I'm very proud of our church when we did the, uh, conducted the mission study almost two years ago now. You said very clearly, this is the most important thing that we can do in the years ahead, is to uh, grow our ministries to children and youth and families. And our board of trustees has concurred and has taken, you know, a step of faith to free up some funds from, some money from different funds uh, to fund this new initiative. And so we're making it a priority, not just with um, our money, but I hope next year we're going to need a lot of volunteers. So I'm recruiting right now, I'm just telling you, to teach these kids. Because God's going to bring a whole bunch of them. I'm confident of that. And we need to love them and open our hearts to them. So this morning I just want to ask this question. Why should a church... Of all the priorities that we could have, why should a church make ministry to kids and children and youth and families the number one priority? You know, I, I often read um, articles from this group called the Barna Group, which conducts uh, a lot of surveys and investigates theological trends in the United States, what's going on in the church, you know, all these different things and publishes these results. And, and they urge all churches today to make uh, children's ministry the number one priority. Because over the last 20 or 30 years, we've lessened the priority. You know, at one time, it was always such a big priority to... Uh, to have important, you know, vital ministries to children and youth. And then, for some reason, over the last 20, 30 years, it just kind of became less important. And we're seeing the results of that now as a church in America. 
But they said, man, you should make this number one. And so why, why should they, why should we uh, make this our priority? We've got three things that I'd like to highlight from these great passages of Scripture from the Gospel of Matthew um, as to why these ministries should be important. First of all, I think children should be important to us because they are important to Jesus. You know, our, one of our scriptures today uh, in, from, nine, from Matthew 19 says that parents were bringing uh, kids to be blessed by Jesus. You know, they saw what he was doing, the miracles he was performing, the great teaching he was giving, and, and they wanted Jesus to bless their child. And it's, it's surprising that, well, not so surprising, but the disciples rebuked them and said, don't bother Jesus with this. said, Jesus is important. <laughs> he has too many other important things to do. So they were trying to kind of move him away. And Jesus said, no, 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 no. No, let the, let the children come to me. Now, this is somewhat surprising because, you know, in that culture, especially, children were not very important. They had no rights. They had no status. They were, interestingly enough, kind of marginalized. And, you know, Jesus always reached out to the marginalized. To the little people, he always had time for people that no one else had time for. For those on the fringes who weren't considered very important. And this is just another example of this. Jesus is reaching out to little people, both figuratively and um, literally. He said, oh no, let the children come. You know, children were so not valued in that culture that if a, a family had a kid they didn't want, for whatever reason, a baby, they could just take it to the town dump and leave it there to die. You know, when people talk about, uh, you know, Christianity has a bad PR problem right now, right? But boy, when you think about what Christ brought into the world, the first century world was a harsh world. And when Jesus started talking about the absolute worth of every person and the value that every person is loved and is of great value to God, you know, it changed things. The world became less harsh. There was more charity. And you can see that throughout, the, you know, throughout history. Christianity was religion starting you know, orphanages for kids and hospitals and universities and the rest. Christ changed the world by telling people all people are valued. And so, kind of surprising that Jesus said this, but this is what he does. He says, you know, no, children are important. And he took them and he blessed them. He wanted them to know that they were loved, that they were important that they were real and valued. You know, so important that I didn't include it in this reading today, but a couple verses later, Jesus gives a very strong warning about how we treat 
children. In 18.6, he says, But if anyone causes one of these little ones who believes in me to sin, or in other words, to, to treat them badly, it would be better to ha- for him to have a large millstone hung around his neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. Those are pretty harsh words. Jesus surprises us sometimes. Frightening. But what he's saying there is, oh, pay special respect to children and value them and protect them because they are one of the most vulnerable populations in the world. He's also saying, you know, watch out for the physical, emotional, spiritual welfare of children. Protect them from exploitation. You know, probably more children are being exploited today than in any time in the history of the world. Jesus is saying, oh, it's the church. We should protect children. We should value them. They're vulnerable. Ministry to children and youth should be important. So that's the first reason. Ministry to children was important to Jesus. Second reason is Jesus or children can be spiritual ex- examples to us. We can learn from children. We know this, don't we? And so the disciples are arguing in chapter 18, who's going to be the greatest, you know? They were seeing what Jesus is doing, and they're thinking he's going to establish a, you know, a political kingdom. That's what they're thinking. So they're asking, who's going to be in the cabinet? Is it going to be me? Who's going to be the greatest? And Jesus says, oh, you guys, you knuckleheads. You got it all wrong. And he said, bring this child. And he had a child stand there in front. He said, this is the truth. You must become like one of, one of these to even enter into the children into the kingdom of God. What does he mean by that? He, he's saying this child is a great example of what it means to be the greatest in the kingdom of God. Now, what is it about children? We know that, that you know, I don't think Jesus is saying be childlike, but he's saying, boy, there's something about children that can really teach us. And what he's, I think what he's saying, most of all, which totally means, makes sense, given the context, he's saying, be humble. Like this child. You know, they didn't have a lot of power. In fact, children even today, they're dependent, right, on their parents for survival. They don't try to run their own lives. Well, maybe a little bit. But down deep, they know. I'm dependent on my Mom and dad, they realize they need their folks. And Jesus is saying something very important here. I mean, and it's key. He's saying, for a person to even enter the kingdom of heaven, they must first of all, first of all realize their need for God, just as a child realizes her need for her parents. Entering the kingdom of God takes humility. It takes Admitting that perhaps we're not as adept at running our own lives as we think, and we would be better off if we looked to God for guidance and care. Kids, you know, they're not afraid 
to admit their needs. I remember when my daughter, who's now 28, was a little girl, she would always say, Daddy, I need a hug. <laughs> they just come out. They're honest. They say it. I need this. And they're more likely to trust. You know, this is a really important point about the kingdom of heaven is we must come to a point where we admit our need. There's no other way. I often say, if, if you don't have a need in your life, Christianity makes no sense. It doesn't. You have to come to the end of your rope at some point and realize, you know, I need God in my life. I love Eugene Peterson's paraphrase. I, I've said this before, but I'm going to say it probably ten times a year, so just get ready. First beatitude, blessed are those who are poor in spirit, for they shall see God. Eugene Peterson's uh, paraphrase that in the message is, blessed are those who come to the end of their own rope, for they'll find God there. It's true, isn't it? I always say, God's address is at the end of your rope. <laughs> That's where God lives. That's why I, I, you know, I love all the AA-type groups. You know, what, what, what do you have to do to get healed? Those steps, the, I think it's the first step. You've got have, to have to admit that you are powerless, that you need a higher power to help you, Right? That was started by Christians. It's all theologically correct. If you, in fact, maybe we'll do a series on the eight steps and how they're theologically correct. First step is to admit that you need God and to be open to God and what God can do in your life. You know, what's interesting is they have found that Three-quarters of adults, at least three-quarters, probably higher than that, of adults who, who you know, claim to be Christ followers, have made a decision to be a Christian, did so before the age of 18. That means that kids, teenagers, children, are much more open to God and to what God wants to do in their life. They, you know, they know that moral and spiritual development begin, begins at age two, and by nine, most of the foundations have been set. Isn't that interesting? And I know from my own experience of 40 years in ministry that, you know, rarely do you find someone who decides to be a Christ follower as an adult if they have no background at all. It just doesn't happen very much. And so this is why this ministry is so important. Kids are just open to what God wants to do in their life. So that's the second thing. They can be spiritual examples. They're the greatest, Jesus says, in the kingdom of heaven because of their humility, because they admit their needs for God. The third thing is, one. this is really interesting. I think you'll find it interesting. When you welcome children, you welcome Christ. Did you hear what Jesus said? He said, 
Whoever welcomes a little child like this in my name welcomes me. Now, what does he mean by that? Well, that word welcomed is, it can also be translated received. It's a hospitality word in the Middle East. It's describing opening up your home to someone and having them come in and having a meal even to strangers, receiving them in, in the Middle East when you have a meal with them, or especially if you let them stay at your home, you're saying, I value you, I accept you. Here's what's interesting about this. When we make room for children in our church, when we welcome them and value them, we make room for Christ to move in new ways. This same group, this Barna group that does all this uh, research about churches and things going on in, in the religious world of the United, United States, they found that the most effective churches, the growing churches, the alive churches, the vital churches, are always intentional about children and youth ministries. They always value them. Somehow, this is true, that when we welcome children, we're welcoming God into our midst. And we're opening ourselves up to God doing something fresh and new and exciting in our midst. I've seen this happen. God works. It's like uh, Christ said in another passage of Scripture, a child will lead them. Oftentimes when kids and children and youth start coming into a church in, in great numbers, you know what? It changes the church, and they lead. I'll close with this story. When I was a youth pastor in Pleasanton, it was my first job. I was young and stupid, but it had a lot of energy. And this church, it was the first pastor, first youth director they ever hired. It was a big step, kind of like what we're doing. Big step financially and in every, every way. And so they hired me, and this youth ministry started growing. In fact, it, it kind of exploded. And kids weren't just coming from the church, obviously, but coming from the community. This great mixture of church kids and community kids. And wow, it was just this fresh thing happening in this church. And so... At one point, we had a student leadership group, and they said, we want to have a Halloween dance. I said, great, let's do it. They said, we want to have it in the sanctuary. <laughs> I said, oh, okay. Well, that's interesting. And you, get, you have to know about this sanctuary, beautiful sanctuary. It's where my wife and I were married. Um, but it was, it was kind of designed, I mean, it's beautiful, honestly. Uh, different than this, but beautiful. But it was designed that you could also use it as a, a fellowship hall. They didn't have room for a fellowship hall. They had these beautiful wooden chairs, upholstered chairs, that you could take apart and move, and the pulpit could be moved, and everything could kind of be pushed to the side, and it was a great place to have a dance. It could be dark. You could set the mood with the lights and had a concrete floor. And we had this kid in our youth group who was so creative just off the charts, and he was the DJ, and he set it all up. He's now making movies in Hollywood. 
but amazing guy. And we prayed for this dance, that it would be fun, that it, kids would come. We opened it up to the community. I don't know. There were probably two, 300 kids that came to this dance. They just kept coming. And I thought, oh, my gosh. I never asked for permission. You know, I always asked for forgiveness. <laughs> so we, we had this dance, and it was just so fun. And I'm looking at Kathy, who was in my youth group. Were you at that dance, Kathy? Yeah. It was just a blast. And the kids just were so excited that, you know, God answered their prayers, and all these kids came, and it was fun. And so then that was Saturday night. We moved everything back into place so that the next morning nobody would know what happened. <laughs> that were, there were ghouls and everything else dancing at this party. And so the guy that I worked for there, Bob Vogt, was amazing guy. We, we called him Father Grace. He could have ran for mayor of uh, Pleasanton and easily won. Everybody loved him. 30 years he was there. He was baptizing kids, babies, of people who he baptized as babies, right? Did I say that right? You get what I'm saying. He is there a long time. But I really felt like, you know, it's one of those times in my life where you can look back and see where the hand of God kind of directed you, and he was exactly the boss I needed. Such a great guy. He was just years away, a couple years away from retirement, and he was just exactly what I needed, encouraging, gracious, and he loved kids, and he valued this ministry. And he never said anything about the dance. Even though I'm sure there were scratches on some of those chairs and some other things that happened. Far more valuable to have kids in the church than to worry about those things. Years later, I was senior pastor of a church which had great children's and youth ministry. And he called me and he was dying. And he was living in Seattle at the time, and he was calling me, really, to say goodbye. And I was so grateful I had this opportunity to talk to him. And he said, Steve, you know, those five years when you were there at Pleasanton, and all those kids came into the church, and all that was going on, he said, you know, Steve, out of the 30 years I was there, those were the best. The best. He said, those kids brought energy and vitality and new ideas and new life into our church. He said, I just loved seeing them meet Christ. And, you know, them coming to the realization that Christ loved them and changes in their life. It was just great. And of course, I thanked him. I said, Bob, uh, I could have never have done it if you weren't so patient with a stupid, you know, 26-year-old. And all your support. And the example you were to me of inclusivity and love and welcoming. When we welcome kids, receive them, open our hearts to them, 
we will know God's love in a new way. I'm excited about this new endeavor for our church. Hold on to your hats. And I promise I'll never have a dance in this sanctuary. (laughs) But it'll be good. Let the children come. Amen? God, we thank you for these passages of Scripture and for your love for, for children and for all people, and especially those who are the lost and the least and the left out. We pray that we will be a church who welcomes children, who will um, maybe put up with scratches on some, some furniture or whatever else it might be that may cost us a little bit, but oh, we look forward to you honoring our efforts and um, filling this place with children and with youth. Lord, we know that in this day and age, this is not easy, that we're facing some real headwinds in um, trying to grow these ministries, but we believe that you are a big God and that you have good things for for us and for the children and the youth of our of Piedmont and our surrounding communities. So God, we pray that you would bless our efforts. And we ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen.